Well, I have a portion of scripture that I think is very relevant to us. Let me tell you a little bit of story, a little background uh, to kind of how I feel that this might be relevant to us today. Um, I, my wife and I had the privilege of leading a couple to Christ in my first ministry in Michigan. And uh, they had a young son at that point. We watched him grow up. Uh, he went off to Bible college and actually trained in business at this Bible college. And at 22 years old, he got married, had a young bride, and was taken on at an internship at a stock brokerage in Minneapolis, Minnesota. In Minneapolis, he was working there and uh, had been there about six months. And one Friday afternoon, the bosses came to him, or actually in the morning, the bosses came to him and said, look, we're going fishing. Uh, and we're going to be out beyond cell range. You've been here six months. You kind of know how it works. Fridays are not very busy. Not too many people call. Don't expect a whole lot to be happening on a sun, uh, summer afternoon. So, uh, but the office is yours. You can handle anything that comes up. We'll be out of range. So, have fun. And they took off. And he sat there all afternoon and just twiddled his thumbs, played a little solitaire because there was absolutely nothing happening. And he watched the clock kind of slowly tick up, thinking about the weekend and going home with his new bride and just having fun with her for the weekend. And as the second hand slowly moving around as it is when you watch it, uh, it was 4.59 when the phone rang. And it was one of their clients who wanted to buy a 1,000 shares of a certain stock. And he was thinking, oh, my goodness, come on, you know, of all times to call right now. So he's, he's filling in all the, the, the details on the form, and he hits send. And then he looks carefully at what he has just typed. And he realizes that he's added a zero to it. 10,000 shares. Not a thousand. And he's hung up with the client and he sits there and thinks, what am I going to do? What, what do I do? And he went home that weekend. Of course, again, can't call boss. They're all out of reach. And with his young bride thinking, oh my goodness, what is this going to do with my resume? What is this? They're going to fire me. I'm not going to have a job. And, you know, this is going to be terrible. And he sat there and just stewed. I'm guessing that all of you have a story of having messed up royally like that. Having done something. Some of us mostly male, have more than one. Uh, we have done things that are just forehead-slapping stupid, that we just think, there's no coming back from this. There is no way out of this. There is nothing I can do, nothing I can say, no way I can be, no thing I can do to make up for what I have just done. And I believe that that happens to us not only kind of in terms of the lives that we live apart from Christ. It often happens in the spiritual realm. 
in our walk with Jesus, that we will do something, we will commit something, we will say something, we will hurt somebody, we will make a decision, a choice that takes us in a direction that we just think, there's no way back from this. You know, I may have been trying to follow Christ for a lot of my life, but then I made this choice, I made this decision, I made this, did this thing or said this thing, and the impact of it was just so bad that there's no coming back. Well, in John chapter 21, post-resurrection uh, expression or manifestation of Christ. In fact, if you turn there with me, if you have your Bibles on your digital devices or the actual printed page, uh, you might want to look at this. John tells us in the first couple verses the nature of what he's going to talk about. And I want to look at that and then we'll pray. It says, after this, Jesus revealed himself again to the disciples by the Sea of Tiberias or the Sea of Galilee. And he revealed himself in this way. In other words, John tells us that this is a way in which Christ shows up in his post-resurrection experiences. This is one of the ways that Christ shows up, I believe, to his people still in his post-resurrection experiences and their experiences of him. That he manifests himself in this way, in the way we are now going to hear described. Before we look at it, though, would you just join me once more before his throne in prayer? Let's pray. Lord, uh, we are truly like the prophet Isaiah. We are people of unclean lips, and we live among a people of unclean lips. We say and do things that are no other word but foul. And we make it hard for the light of your glory to shine in us and through us sometimes. But we just thank you that you have given us this wonderful word that shows us how our Lord Jesus shows up for us. And we pray that as... Your word is declared today that your spirit would accompany it, that your servants would be attuned to what you have to say, and that we would feel the impact of the supernatural word of God feeding our hearts and changing our lives. Speak, Lord, for we pray. Your servants are listening. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, this story that John is going to tell us is about Peter. And it starts off with Simon Peter saying to them in verse 3, actually he's with his buddies, it says in verse 2, Simon Peter, Thomas called the twin, Nathaniel Cana of Galilee, uh, the sons of Zebedee, and two others of the disciples were together. And Simon Peter said to them, I am going fishing. Now this is post-resurrection. I am going fishing. Now for Peter... This was not vacation. I go fishing on vacation. Some of you probably do too. This was not vacation. This was vocation. And Peter is, in a sense, going back to 
the things that he was doing before he met Jesus. In fact, they really formed a a bit of the core of how he met Jesus, how Jesus first showed up for him. If you put your finger here, I want to get a little backstory. And if you know your Bibles, you probably know this backstory, but I think it's good to kind of take a look at it together to Luke chapter 5. Luke chapter 5. In Luke chapter 5, it says, On one occasion, while the crowd was pressing in on him to hear the word of God, he was standing by the lake of Gennesaret, same lake, Tiberias, Galilee, all same place. And he saw two boats by the lake, but the fishermen had gone out of them and were washing their nets. Getting into one of the boats, which was Simon, Simon Peter's, he asked him to put out a little bit from land. And he sat down and he taught the people from the boat. Now, kind of need to understand the way fishing worked back then. They fished all night. Peter will explain this in just a moment. But they fished all night because the the fish, and any of us who are fishermen know that this is the way it is with trout or bass, that they like to come up to the surface and feed uh, in the early, just before dawn and just after dusk, just when the, after the sun sets, is when fish come to the surface. And that was true in the Sea of Galilee as well. So the fishermen would go out and they would fish in the early evening and fish all night because the fish would stay up near the surface. And when the sun rose, they went down deep and the, the hand cast nets that they used uh, didn't work too well. And so these guys that uh, Jesus is sitting with, or the boat he wants to sit in, uh, these guys had fished all night. And so at the, any of you third shifters or whoever work third shift, raise your hand. Okay, you know what third shift is like. At the end of third shift, you have one goal and objective. And that's to get a little bit in your stomach and the rest of you in bed. Because you are exhausted at that point. Well, these are third shifters here. They have worked all night long and all they want to do is get their boat kind of ready to go out the next night. They got to wash their nets and get them all set up. And then they go home. And I think Peter was just looking forward to his Sealy mattress and, you know, getting a good night's sleep. When Jesus comes and sits in his boats and tells him to put out a little bit from shore. So, You third shifters know what that's like. The last thing you want is a preacher to give you an assignment at that moment. Because, you know, so Jesus says, hold the boat steady a little little bit offshore while I speak to the crowd that's been pressing around me so that everybody can hear me. And he preaches a message. And this is the son of God. If he wants to preach a long message, he can preach a long message. Doesn't say how long it was, but I don't think it was short. So Peter's sitting there holding the boat in place with pole, probably, while Jesus preaches, preaches, preaches. Of course, he doesn't give an invitation because people would have drowned. You can't come forward. But, you know, when he's finally done and Peter's thinking, oh, my goodness, thank thank you that I can finally get home and get to bed. Jesus turns to him and says, put out into the deep and let down your nets for a catch. I think at that moment, Peter just looked at him. And we don't know what went on in Peter's head, but I think we can guess. I think the look that passed between them was, who's the fisherman in this boat? If you were the fisherman, Peter thinking, you'd know that the fish have gone deep. There is no point in going out. Nobody fishes during the day. 
because the, the fish are in no place that you can catch them. And we have worked all night. And so finally he says this, you know, and Simon answered, Master, we have toiled a word, an intensive word of how hard we have worked. We sweat all night and took nothing. And I think, again, they're just looking at each other. And finally, Peter cracks, but he makes sure he knows that Jesus knows whose responsibility it is. But at your word, I will let down the nets. And when they had done this, they enclosed a great number of fish, a large number of fish, and their nets were breaking, and they signaled for their partners to come to the other boat uh, to come out and to help them. And they came and they filled both of the boats so that they both began to sink. And when Simon Peter saw it, this is, I think, what made Simon a great man. When Simon Peter saw it, he fell down on his knees, fell down at Jesus' knees, saying, Depart from me, for I am a sinful man, O Lord. And I think the consciousness of his sin was revealed because of how he felt about this order that Jesus gave him to go fish. At a time when he thought that I'm the expert here, I'm the expert in this boat, this is my boat. You don't have the right to come and tell me what to do with my boat. Only when he followed what Jesus said, Jesus revealed his power and glory. And Peter recognized his own sinfulness and fell at his knees. Well, Peter got a lot of experiences thereafter. And I believe Peter and the Zebedee sons were competitive in their business and I think their competition kind of continued in their following of Jesus. Uh, we see them together a number of times. One of the great moments is at the Mount of Transfiguration where they see him revealed in his glory. So Peter gets the privilege of watching Jesus transfigured into the glory that he had with in heaven with Moses and Elijah there. He sees Jesus... You know, he has the, the, he's given the revelation by the Father that uh, uh, the flesh and blood hasn't revealed to him that Jesus is the rock, that Jesus is the one who is the Messiah, the King. And Peter, uh, Jesus says to him, it's, uh, you are the rock upon which I will build my church. So Peter experiences things that just make him think that he has got the, this new kingdom that the king that he is following is going to bring, he is going to have one of the high thrones in it. And he thinks he is the one that Jesus is going to use and bless. So that makes what happens the night of Jesus' arrest so painful. Around that upper room table, that night. Jesus says, one of you is, before this night is over, is going to betray me. And they wandered around the table who that could be. And Peter boasted, if all others deny you, I will never deny you. Now, it's one thing if you believe that in your heart, that, I, you know, I'm not going to deny you. But it's another thing when you make the boast public. When you go public with kind of, 
I'm the best. All others could fall away, but I'm not falling away. Always a dangerous thing. And of course, we know what happened. If you know Peter's story, he is in the garden of the high priest as Jesus is arrested and carried off to trial. And three times a slave girl asks him, a servant girl, you were with him, weren't you? And three times Peter denies him. The third he does with cursing and swearing. So when Jesus appears in his resurrection, there is an interesting verse in the Gospel of Mark. Mark 16, verse 8. You might just check it out or mark it down. Where Jesus appears to the women And says, go tell my disciples and Peter that I am going to go before them into Galilee. There's an implication to that. That Peter now is not considered a part of the disciples. That he has done something that has put him outside that circle. And I think that's what we're looking at in John 21. I think he's feeling that he is no longer a part. Because in the events that occur just before this in John 20, it's the story of uh, Thomas. And Thomas, who, when Jesus appeared the very first time, was not among the disciples And when they tried to tell him about it, he says, unless I put my finger in the nail prints, unless I put my hand to the side where the spear went through, I I ain't buying it. I ain't buying that Jesus is alive. That was Thomas's doubt. And I think when Jesus then showed up and said to Thomas, put my, put your fingers in my nail prints, put your hand in my side. Be not unbelieving, but believing. I think while he's doing that with Thomas, Peter is standing over here watching and thinking, he heard what Thomas was saying when he wasn't here. He heard exactly what came out of Thomas's mouth, what he claimed. And now as he's appeared and put his hand, he is showing that there is nothing that is hidden from him, which means that he heard my cursing and swearing In the garden of the high priest. And if I thought that maybe God was dozing when that happened. Or that God missed it. Or that maybe I could spin it in some way. No, he knew exactly what happened. He knew exactly what I did. And I think as they went up to Galilee from Jerusalem. The further they got away from Jerusalem. The more Peter thought to himself. Well, I tried that discipleship stuff. And it didn't work. I've messed up too bad. There's no no way back from this. Not after boasting in front of them all that if all others deny, I won't deny. And then I deny not just once, twice, three times with cursing and swearing. I denied it. There's no way back from that. I burned my bridge. So I'm going fishing. I'm going to return to the one thing that I was only quasi-successful at, but it was better than discipleship. I messed up too bad. And again, I think that many of us 
come to those moments in our spiritual life. Corporately, I think you all have come to moments where the question might be in your brain. Have we gone too far? Have we crossed some bridge about which we cannot get back as a church? So hearing this story is, I think, important for us. I am going fishing, Peter said in verse 3 of John 21. And they said to him, we will go with you. And they went out and got into the boat, but that night they caught nothing. Now, that should be the first little ding, ding, ding. But that wasn't too uncommon. But just as day was breaking, Jesus stood on the shore, yet the disciples didn't know that it was Jesus. Jesus said to them, they just see this figure sitting on the shore in the, in the early, early morning. And they hear a call come across the water. Children, do you have any fish? Some translations go, you don't have any fish, do you? And they answered him, no. And he said to them, cast the net on the right side of the boat and you will find some. Ding, 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 ding. Much louder bell ringing. So they did. So they cast it and now they were not able to haul it in because of the quantity of the fish. That disciple, therefore, whom Jesus loved said to Peter, it is the Lord. Peter was suspicious, but when John said it, he, it, it just became clear. He was now, Jesus was on the beach. And it's interesting what happens at this moment, as, especially as you read commentators about this passage, or if you've heard messages on this passage, a lot of times people assume that, G, uh, that Peter is, gets all excited. He's been stripped uh, for work, and he puts on his garment, and he throws himself in the water. I remember seeing a Decision magazine by Billy Graham with a picture on it of Peter swimming from the boat, the boat behind him, and Peter is swimming to get to Jesus as fast as he can. He's so excited about seeing Jesus. I don't think so. In fact, I used to talk about this passage with my students at the seminary, just in terms of interpreting the scripture properly, because it doesn't tell us which side of the boat he jumped off of, but I think you can know which side of the boat. There's details in the text that tell you which side of the boat he jumped off of. So he jumps off, he throws himself into the water, In verse 7, and the other disciples came in the boat, dragging the net full of fish, where they were not far off from the land, but about a hundred yards off. When they got out on the land, they saw a charcoal fire in place and fish laid out on it and bread. And Jesus said to them, bring some of the fish you have just caught. Now I think you begin to see why I think Peter was not rushing to see Jesus. Because he takes every opportunity to get away. When Jesus says, bring some of the fish you have caught, I think Peter was probably hanging around toward the back of the disciples that have now gathered around Jesus. He's hanging around. He's not looking Jesus in the eyes, but he hears this, bring some of the fish, and he thinks, oh, thanks, Lord. And he goes off to the boat. He figures, I can get away. I have a legitimate reason now. 
So he goes to the boat, and we read what he does here, and I think the details of it tell us that this is a man in full avoidance mode. He has messed up so royally that there is no way back for him. So what good does it do hanging around Jesus? So Simon Peter went aboard the boat, verse 11, and hauled the net to shore. Now remember, all five of these guys that were left in the boat couldn't get the boat, the, the net in the boat. And they could barely get the net to follow the, follow the boat. So now Peter, by himself, goes and hauls this net to shore. This was hard work. It took a while. He hauls the net to shore full of large fish. We get that little detail. So that means that, you know, Peter's kind of looking and measuring the fish. Then we get the most significant detail. A hundred and fifty-three. What does that tell us he did? He counted them. He counted them. And I picture him going down to the net and taking one out and bringing it up and laying it on the shore. And then going down to the net and taking another one out. And every now and then maybe he got two. And he's noticing how large they are. But he maybe puts them in groups of five so he can count them better. You know, how long is it going to take to do 153 fish? You know, so he's a long time doing this. And, he, and, and, and you know, he probably counts them twice to make sure he got them all and doesn't miss one. And then we read what else he did. And although there were so many, the net was not torn. So after he finished with the fish, what does he do? He takes the net and he's kind of going over it. You know, are there any tears? We had a lot of fish in here. Might have torn torn it someplace. Oh, we've got to check, make sure, and make sure it's... This is not a man who wants to be with Jesus. This is a man who is in full avoidance mode because he thinks he's done something from which he cannot come back. Discipleship is obviously for others. It's not for him. He tried it. Didn't work. Jesus said to them, come and have breakfast. Now, none of the disciples dared ask him, who are you? They knew it was the Lord. Jesus came and took bread and gave it to them. And so with the fish. And now this was the third time that Jesus revealed himself to the disciples after he was raised from the dead. And when he had finished breakfast, Jesus said to Simon Peter, and again, I picture Simon sitting at the back, kind of, you know, everybody else's face toward Jesus. I think Peter has his, you know, rock or whatever. He's face to the side. He's not looking. But Jesus now addresses him and says, Simon, son of John. He asked him an interesting question. Do you love me more than these? What makes this question interesting is the more than these. What's he talking about here? Three possibilities. Do you love me more than you love these guys? I mean, you love these guys. We know you love these guys. Do you love me more than you love those guys? That's one possibility. 
do you love me more than those guys love me? See, that's what he boasted in the upper room. I love you, Lord. I love you so much. All others deny you. I'll never deny you. I'll die with you. So that's a real possibility. Do you love me more than those guys love me? The third possibility is that Jesus with his hand shows the boat and the nets, the vocation that was his before he met Jesus. Do you love me? more than these trappings of your old life. And I think as a principle of interpreting the Bible, when it could be one of a number of possibilities, God intends them all. We don't have to make a choice. He intends them all. Do you love me more than these? Peter said, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. Now, if you've been around church any length of time, you've probably heard somebody talk on this passage and tell you that the words for love here that Jesus uses and Peter uses are different words in the original language, and they are. And Jesus uses the strong word for for love, the nature of God's love, unconditional love. Peter uses a word, a much weaker word, a word for affection, Brotherly love. So, do you love me unconditionally, Peter, more than these? Lord, you know I have an affection for you. And he said to him, feed my lambs. He said to him a second time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Drops them more than these. Uses a strong word. Peter replies a second time, you know that I love you. He said to him, tend my sheep. He said to him a third time, Simon, son of John, and here again, very interesting, that Jesus now changes his word from the strong word for love to the word that Peter's been using, the word for affection. Do you have an affection for me? You think, now why would Peter, why would Jesus do that? And here's the point of especially people sitting in the shadow this morning of their solemn assembly. Because the reality is that God heard all the words that came out of people's mouths yesterday. And God knows all the hearts that turned from things that were hindering them spiritually and hindering the body of Christ spiritually. And all of our hearts may not have been in the exact right place at that right time to make the right decision, and but what I think that third statement that Jesus makes, do you love me? Do you have an affection for me? Using the word that Peter uses shows to all of us is that as far as you can go at this moment is good enough for me. It's good enough for me. This is the end of your story. And you may get to the place later where you can love me unconditionally. But what you can offer me now, I accept. It's good enough. Feed my sheep. That's good enough for me to recommission you into my discipleship fold. 
and call you to the ministry that I called you to originally. Not the boats and the fish, but a fisher of men. The young stockbroker in Minneapolis stressed all weekend long. What is he going to do? He came in Monday morning. He made a decision. I'm going to tell him the truth. You know, he thought, tried to think if there was a way to spin it, to make it sound better than it was. And he just said, there's no spin in this. So he came in, first thing, went to his direct supervisor and started to tell him what happened. And the guy stopped him about 30 seconds in and said, wait a second. Punched buttons on his phone and got the big bosses of the brokerage to come down to the office. So now the head of the company and several of the vice presidents are sitting in the room with his direct supervisor. And the guy says, start the story again. So he has to tell the story again. And they're all sitting there with their arms folded. And after he finishes, they said, well, go out and wait in the waiting room. So he went out in the waiting room where the strangers sit and sat there for a half hour. And finally, his supervisor came out and got him and said, come on back in. And they sat him back down. And they said, we want you to know that we're not firing you. However, if you had not taken responsibility or had, you know, found some excuse for what you had done, we would fire you in a second. He says, but because you've owned it, because you've taken responsibility for what you did, all of us blow it. All of us make mistakes. All of us do things that we think, oh my gosh. So what we want in this company is when you do that, when you make a mistake like that, you take responsibility for it. He says, so you're just the kind of guy we want in this company. I think that's just the kind of person Jesus wants. In his churches, when they mess up, they don't run, they don't hide, they don't make excuses. They take ownership. Because there's nothing, there's nothing you can do. Remember, this is the way Jesus shows up in his resurrection appearances. This is one of the ways he manifests himself to us. That it doesn't matter what you've done, how you've messed up. There is always a way back. With the Lord Jesus Christ. Let's bow together for prayer. Lord, this church has been on quite a journey. learned a lot of tough lessons. The leaders in this church have learned tough, painful lessons. The people as well. 
You've all had them on individual journeys where they face things that probably mirror and reflect what the church itself has gone through. And I just pray that as the risen Lord shows up, manifests himself in this way, that they will feel you here for them, willing to completely restore them. That the things that they said yesterday indeed gave a Christian burial to stuff that had been stinking up the place. And that the impact of all of that will be that this will be a bride with whom you delight to dwell. Those verse, the, that verse from Ephesians 3 that they are praying, that Christ will dwell in our hearts with faith. I know that that word dwell is the word to be at home. To come be at home. That Jesus, you would feel at home in this place. Not a visitor, not a stranger comes in and wanders out. But this would be a place that you would be pleased to dwell. And continue to work in mighty ways. Again, this isn't perfection that they've got. We're all sinners and we all mess up. But we thank you that we have a Lord that always makes a way back for us no matter how bad we've messed up and will restore us to fruitful ministry. Do that, Lord, in the days, weeks, years ahead. We ask it in Jesus' name.